0: Hi, folks. Jack Spierko here. Today, you are listening to an episode of TSP Rewind, commercial-free versions of past episodes, podcasts, blasts from the past. I put these up when I can't do a show due to professional commitments or rare vacations. These podcasts will appear in standard iTunes, Stitcher, and other feeds, but will be titled TSP Rewind Episodes and numbered accordingly. And remember, while there are no commercials in these episodes, you can always support the show by becoming a member of the Member Support Brigade, or by doing your Amazon shopping through tspaz.com. Today we are rewinding back to episode 1274, it was titled, 14 Life Rules for a Modern Survivalist. Originally published January 7th, 2014. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Hi, folks. This is Shakespeare, going to another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is episode 1274 of the Survival Podcast. We're going to call it 14 Rules of a Modern Survivalist. More about that in a minute. Today is January 7th, 2014, and uh we're going to have a good show today. All right, with that, let's get into the main topic of today's show. Today's show is called 12 Rules. It's actually 14 Rules, because I added two more while I was working on the uh, show notes. 14 Rules of a Modern Survivalist. Um, when i conceived of this show i thought i would call it 14 rules for being a modern survivalist and then i realized it's completely inconsistent with the way that i think and with survival tenant uh number 10 which is everything that you do matters and if you don't like the way i think i do things or suggest things make your own do your own thing use your own mindset and above all understand that your choices matter and that means I can't dictate to you what you should do. All I can do is tell you what I do and let you glean from it what makes the most sense for yourself. And no matter how passionate I deli- how passionately I deliver things, when you hear me and you think I'm screaming at you to do things the way I do, understand I'm not. I just emphatically believe in my ideals that much that it can come across that way. What I'm really saying to you is this is what I think. This is how I feel. This is what I believe. This is why I believe it. This is how I've used it in my life. This has been the results of doing that. And because of those results, I'm even more convinced that this is a good way to live. But in the end, I'm totally okay with you saying, I'm not going to do it that way. What I'm not okay with you saying, and I won't say to you, is you're wrong for doing it that way. See, that's where I think we overstep our boundaries is when we start telling it. Now, there are certain universal morality and ethics that are out there. And I'm going to talk about moral code today and how you have an individual moral code. But we, I think we have a, a moral code that society as a whole generally understands and gets, except for some people that probably need a hole in the ground to solve their problems. Such as you don't go out and beat children with a baseball bat. That's not acceptable behavior. So I have no problem telling a person that thinks it's okay to beat children with a baseball bat or that sick asshole who has that book on behavior modification that advises getting fuel lines, holding your children down, and beating them across the legs until they submit to you. I have no problem telling that son of a bitch he's wrong. But when it comes to life-based decisions, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong because you believe something different than me. If you're not harming anybody else in your beliefs, if you're not violating anybody else's freedom and liberty, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. And in some instances, even in that case, because you're conforming to what is the reality of society today, I'm going to tell you that you're wrong. In other words, uh, I believe in less government, and many people out there seem to think the solution is more government, and in utilizing the apparatus of government to enforce what you think should be on other people, you are indeed infringing upon liberties. And I will debate your ideology with you, but I won't tell you you as a human being are wrong, because I know that most people that are doing that truly are doing what they think is right. And it takes time to evolve out of that state where you think, hey, we could just fix this with a law. We could just fix this with the right politician. So in general, I'm not ever going to tell anybody how to think. I'm just going to tell you how I think and make the case for how I think. And a little bit there on politics goes right into the first rule because I've gotten a lot of emails from people lately that seem to think that I have decided that there's no point at all to even worrying about politics, yet I talk about politics, and they don't understand how the two jive with each other. Well, here's the rule that I'm living by. Ignore politicians. Ignore politicians. Ignore, you know, in the last presidential election, I ignored Mitt Romney. I ignored Barack Obama. They're both two sides of the same coin. I don't care. But the rest of the, the rule is do not however ignore their actions and resulting consequences. So you do have to pay attention to what government's doing and the consequences of their actions. And there are places to fight, but you don't fight one politician against another. You don't, you don't do the bidding, okay, of one side of the mafia family. You know? You don't, you don't pick the Corleones, you know? Uh, and back the Corleones over their opponents. That's that's not how you you live in a free republic. What you fight is the intent. Whenever the intent is wrong, you do whatever you can that will work to fight it, and when it's not going to happen, when they're going to do it anyway, then you focus on not fighting it, but the what's going to happen. So how do I deal with it? How do I prepare myself for it? Because they're going to do this even though I don't want them to. I know that in this one I've I've been beaten before I've even tried. An example was Obamacare. We were never ever 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 going to stop Obamacare from happening ever. I came on the microphone before the bill existed and told you they were going to do it. It was going to happen, and it was going to be so bad that it would ruin our current health care system, which was already bad and did need to be fixed, but it would totally demolish it to the point where within five to seven years after it was implemented, the public would turn around and beg the government for government-provided health care. You can see the beginnings of that right now. You can see, you know, my wife having her insurance go up because they now have to provide her with maternity coverage. We're not going to have any kids, folks. We're past that stage in our lives. We don't want it. We have to have it. My insurance went up. I don't even know why. I've never used it. I've never used it, but my insurance went up about 30%. And mainly it's because I have to now have coverage that I have never wanted, I've never paid for, and I don't want. And I was not without coverage. I was not going to be the guy that was running up a big bill on society that you had to pay for in the emergency rooms and through tax dollars. I had plenty of coverage for Catastrophics. They required my insurance company to provide me a lower deductible even though I don't want one. That's just one of the reasons my insurance went up. And it went up at a level that I can absorb, but I'm telling you, many people in my position can't. Or if this had happened to me several years ago before I had built this show to where it is today, I would have never, I would have paid the, I would have said, screw it, I don't want it at all anymore then. I would have dropped it and paid the penalty. Because the penalty would have, I've been able to afford, and, and, and the cost here I wouldn't. And how many Americans is this going to happen to? And the answer is a lot. And the fine's little the first year, and it goes up every year. It's designed to force you to buy something you don't want. So that's a consequence. So in that instance, you had to know that was going to happen. You had to accept that that was going to happen. You can call your congressman all you want. Everybody was already on the board with what they were going to do. Olympia Snow was the snow job that was going to push it over and make it happen, and nothing was going to change her mind. And she gave cover to all her fellow rhinos to be able to go and vote against it, even though they were for it, because they knew they had the votes. She was the safest per- person to do that. Now, if you think I'm making a case for good quality Republicans, they would have done something equally stupid. That's the point. This was the point in time that this was going to get done by the one sided the mafia family. The mafia family in control before that, right? The Republican mafia put in place... All these security measures and apparatuses being used to spy on by the American people. That was also going to happen. And when it was put in place by one party, you knew when the other family took over, they were going to use it even more. And you know that whoever takes over next So the reality of NSA spying is an action of the political system, and it has consequences. You're not going to stop it. Not yet. Not unless enough people are mad enough to do something about it, and they're not yet. So you can't really spend your time worrying about politician A or B. Or maybe I should say politician D or R. You really can't because with very, very few exceptions, and the exceptions are so minor that they don't really impact the decision of the entire body of government. They're the same people. And when it comes to your your federal Congress, most districts are going to send a D or an R. Right? They're gonna say, this dictator is always gonna send you a D. They might change the D, but you're gonna get a D. And this dictator, there's very few swing divisions. Especially in the Senate. In the House, you see it swap back and forth quite a bit. But what do you notice when it swaps back and forth? What changes? Nothing. Government grows. Tyranny grows. Freedom declines. Debt grows. Right? Fiscal irresponsibility grows. Focusing on the politician is a waste of your time. Focus only on the consequences to you, the actions, and fight the idea. Don't line up with the individual. If if something's coming through government and we legitimately can scare the criminals into backing off, do it. If it can't be done, figure out what to do about it before it happens. That's how I live my life. That's why you hear me talk about politics and say politics doesn't matter at the same time. That's the thought process. That's the only thing political that you're going to hear today. And I actually consider that quite anti-political, by the way. Um, the next thing that I've always tried to convey to you guys over the years, five years, five and a half years now, almost six, um, is truly understand things in this order. Absolute needs, needs, comfort items, and luxuries in your planning. And what I mean by absolute needs is shelter is an absolute need. One way or another... No matter where you live in the world, at some point your life is in danger if you don't have some sort of a shelter. Either from heat or cold or wet, something can actually threaten your life to the point of death or disease that will cause death if you don't have shelter. Uh, So shelter is an absolute need. A house is not an absolute need. An apartment is not an absolute need. I consider them a need Minus the absolute. That's where the, the the bifurcation there is between absolute need and need. You need shelter to the absolute. You don't necessarily have to have a house to have shelter. The houses are actually a relatively new invention of human beings. They're, you could live in a cave. You could live in a hut. You could build a lean-to. You could live in a tent. There are many forms of shelter other than housing. But the reality is to function in our modern society, to prosper, Uh, You need a house, or you need housing. It is a need, but not an absolute need. You might think that that little thing in between the two isn't that important, but it is. That little nuance is extremely important. Because I need a house, and I have to plan to have a house, and I have to do everything I can to keep a home to stay in. But my house could be blown up. And I can survive, but I will still have the absolute need of shelter. Does that make sense? I need money, but I have an absolute need for money. So the absolute needs get the bulk of my mental preparation and my physical preparation, followed by the needs, and then the comfort items, because I need food. I have an absolute need for food, right? And then I have a need for quality, healthy food. And then food that I like that's also quality and healthy is a comfort item. So I have to think in order of preparations to go without systems of support and possibly need food, that my first goal in food preparation is to meet the absolute need. Calories and nutrients that will keep me alive because they're cheap. Many things I do not eat on a daily basis store really well, like grains. And they will meet the absolute need. From there, I need to move to the nutrition for my body type and for my lifestyle as a need. Pasture-raised eggs. Which also can help fulfill my absolute need, but my chickens could be stolen, my chickens could be killed by hawks, my chickens could be killed by foxes, my chickens don't lay certain times of the year. I can only eat so many of the chickens before I have no more chickens. So they move more into the need versus absolute need. And I don't really need a chicken, they're actually more of a comfort item. But they provide a need, high quality nutrition. When you start to think that way, with every element in your life, You start to make really smart decisions because you don't need, at any level, an Xbox. That's probably a bad example for me because I tell you, I don't get the point. I don't play games. I don't care. So, for instance, we have a big screen TV. I do not need a big screen TV. I cannot make the case that I need a big screen TV. I can't even make the case that the big screen TV is really a comfort item. It is a luxury. It uses energy that could be used for other things. It's bigger than I need. I'm a little bit nearsighted, but I'm not that bad. I can see smaller screens. I could watch all the things that I want for my comfort, my videos and TV and stuff like that, on a computer. I could get all the information that I feel that I need, like when a disaster's going on from a tiny screen. I don't need a big screen TV. It's not even a comfort item. To me, it's a luxury. A comfort item is that we have nice soft carpet in our home. It's not a luxury, it's a comfort item. It's, it's, it's somewhere in that place in between. Well I would really, I would really, really be unhappy if my floor was just like concrete. I I would really not be comfortable in, in my climate and in my lifestyle with a crappy floor. It's a comfort item. It's not quite a luxury. And the difference between comfort items and luxury is nowhere near as important. It's the difference between needs and comfort items and the difference between absolute needs and needs. That's the end of the spectrum to focus on. Shore all of those up and you can get through anything. The next thing is, and this is where I differ with a lot of people that you would call wilderness survivalists, tough survivalists, I'm fighting the government survivalists, that that think all primitive Right? I'm not going to use any modern technologies because they'll fail eventually. I say use anything that works. As long as it is ethical and it actually works. That's, that's the key. Is it ethical and does it actually work? In other words, if I want money, coming over to your house, shooting you in the face and taking your money works. And if I'm good at it and I get away with it, it's, it's, it works pretty well. I can do it to a lot of people and get a lot of money, and as long as I don't get caught, it works. But it's not ethical. right? It's an extreme example, but it's to make a point. Just because it works doesn't mean it's ethical. So to me, I have a code of ethics I won't violate, which is another principle we'll get to in a bit. And as long as it doesn't violate my ethics and it works, I'll do it. The rest of it, though. Use anything that works as long as it is ethical and actually works. So, how does that work? We can look into permaculture to see this. So, if I have a field and I dump NPK fertilizer, chemical petroleum based fertilizer on that field, does it work? Yes. There's no doubt about it, and anyone that says it doesn't work is wrong. It works. You will get greater yields and greater growth, especially initially, and especially if the field already is depleted in nutrient. But does it really work? Does it work for 10 years? Does the soil become better 10 years down the road if we do it every year? The answer is no. It doesn't really work. It works for a time, and then it begins to show its limitations, and it fails. So I'll do anything that works as long as it's ethical and as long as it really works. If it has long-term negative consequences but works in the short term, it doesn't work for real. It doesn't really work. It's it's a short-term fix. Now, there's a time for common sense there. Let's say I got called in to consult with a family that was going to lose their farm. And they had a crop that was being threatened by a fungus. And it wasn't gone yet, but it was close. We had to do something immediately or they were going to lose the crop. If they lose the crop, they lose the farm. There's a fungicide. It's not good for the environment at all. It's not good for long-term use. If used consistently, it will have adverse consequences down the road. But if I spray their field with it today, I'll save their crop, get them a yield, keep their farm... And get a chance to rebuild tomorrow, and the field's already been sprayed with crap for years and years and years. That one more application isn't going to push it over the end into oblivion. I've got a lot of work to do. so I would then use that because it works. I would get them through that season and move them to a sustainable solution in the next season. And if I don't do that, there's no one to work with because the bank gets the farm sells it to the conglomerate, that does even worse things to it. So that's where you have these these rules in your life. can't be hard rules. They have to be flexible to the situation, but they have to remain true to the ethics. I don't want to spray the fungicide at all. And ethically, I have a conflict with that. But the moral imperative to look after the family so that that family who's now willing to work with me can restore the land is a higher moral imperative than just not spraying fungicide, if that makes sense. And that's how I feel about everything. Use a GPS. They're awesome. Learn your ass how to use a compass and a map, and learn your ass how to use basic navigation that requires no map or compass. Like where the sun rises and sets, it's pretty constant. How shadows are cast and how shadows change. If you just put a rock, you find a tree casting a shadow in a field and put a rock at the tip of that shadow and then wait a little while and then put a rock where the shadows move to and wait a little while and put another rock where the shadows move to and wait a little while and put another rock where the shadows move to and wait a little while and you get a line, you get an east-west line. Do you have east and west? You should be able to figure out where east, you know, which one's east and which one's west. If you can't do that, you're probably screwed anyway. You know where that is. You know where north and south is. If you know kind of sort of where you are and what's around you, you know a direction to move in. And that works. And it's great that you would know how to do that. That's awesome. But if you could have already been safe because you used your GPS, use your GPS. Use your smartphone. Use your computer. Build businesses with them. Navigate with them. Improve your efficiency with software. If you can be a better designer with software, use it but know how to do it with pen and paper. That's what I mean by this is one of the most important rules. This is actually the defining rule that takes modern survivalism out of what the media portrays as traditional survivalism. Because really, it's always been this. Most people with a brain understand this. Even the guy that's like, I know how to live on tree bark with a knife. Yeah, and how do you get to work every day? In my truck. Okay, there we go. So even when they say they're not doing it, most people are doing it. Very few people are Cody Lundin. Right? Very few people live with no shoes in the middle of the desert. And yeah, how do you think he got to, uh, to South America to film the stuff in the, yeah, in a car. All right. So even those people, if they're going to share what they're doing with others, because Cody's the real deal. I, I don't doubt that at all. Cody is the real deal as a primitive survivalist. But enable, in, in, in order to be able to share with other people his ideology and what he's doing, he has to use modern technology or what happened? So even the the, the purest compromises on that. So I'm just saying compromise on it right from the get-go. Use anything that works. Solve any problem you see in your head, even if you can't implement the solution. I was talking about this to a degree yesterday. It's kind of what kicked me into doing this show today. But what I said yesterday was something to the effect is if, if, if every time you see a problem and think somebody should do something about it and say, I want to fix it with a law or pass a law or something, instead of taking an action to fix it or figuring out how to fix it, you put your mind to sleep and make it somebody else's problem. And it promotes laziness and apathy. And my Mike on the blog pointed out that like when they were out recently, his wife saw some garbage on the road near their neighborhood. It's not their garbage, but she's like, you know what, we need to just bring some bags next time and clean that crap up, even though it's not ours and he's like damn right and that's what kind of what i'm talking about and that's true and that is that is where that solution leads to an action there's crap there that shouldn't be there this is where we live there's nothing that prevents us from fixing it and we could fix it in an hour so we're going to do it and then we're going to maybe think how do we prevent this from happening again how do we identify the people responsible for it? Maybe we can fix that. Maybe we can't. But what we do know we can do is once in a while pick up the garbage, even if it's not ours. And I've seen people fail to do it on their own property because the garbage blew to their property. We had a cul-de-sac we lived in, in in Arlington where we had garbage in our front yard all the time because that's just where the wind blew. And I've seen people in that situation won't well, pick it up. It's your house, dude. I didn't put it there. It doesn't matter. It's your house, right? So there are the immediately actionable, easy, simple solutions. But I think we should be solving problems in our head even when we know we can't fix them. An example would be we have hungry people in Dallas and Fort Worth where I live. I know lots of ways to feed them. And when I drive down the road and I see a place that can be dedicated to providing food for somebody, I design it in my head. I know full well if I go to Fort Worth and say, look, this is what we need to do. I'm going to run into a mile long of bureaucracy and bullshit. It's never going to happen. But I do know that solution works, and I have taken on the responsibility internally to figure out that solution. Hopefully somebody else will eventually figure out the solution to the bureaucratic nonsense. I'm not cut out for it. So my solution to that problem is somebody else should do that one. Now I know, I know that sounds like doublespeak, but that's actually an acceptance of our limitations. If you're doing nothing at all and saying that about everything that you're concerned with, that's one thing. When you're actively engaging mentally and physically in multiple solutions and you simply say, this is the limit of my bandwidth, that's somebody else's fight, that's okay. And I still think, how could we phrase this? How could, so that I can be part of that if it ever comes down to it. If I can get, if somebody can get the process far enough along, I have a few things maybe I could say or do or show to push it over the edge. And that's just understanding where you're, you're best at in a team. But I think we should make an effort, at least in our minds, to solve every problem that we ever come across. Including solving it in 30 seconds going, it's mind-numbingly simple. But society's not ready for that yet, but that is a solution. And then saying, well, what's a more complex solution that might work, even if no one's going to listen to that? There's a couple things that are happening when we're doing this. One is it becomes pervasive in your life. And you start solving every problem you see, and guess what happens then? You solve your own problems that really do affect you that you can do something about. You've now trained your mind to immediately look at a problem as a troubleshooter and say, how do I fix this? So when all of a sudden you get a bill you didn't expect, instead of going, oh, God, I don't know what to do, and taking a payday loan, you, you sit down and go, how do I fix this? And all of a sudden you figure out a way to fix it. Maybe it's not the most comfortable situation to go through, but you solve it. You don't feel that somebody else should fix it for you. And that happens. You exercise your problem-solving capability in the same way that you exercise your biceps and your triceps and your pectorals by doing a bench press. There has to, There has to be action. There has to be force against force. The force is the problem. The repelling force is the solution. And the two have to be engaged. And people wonder how I can do so many things or figure out so many things or know so many things. And that's why, because every single time I see a problem, I seek a solution. And that's that's probably why I love permaculture, but permaculture is not why I think that way. That's why I became a mechanic, but being a mechanic is not why I think that way. When I was running around in the woods as a teenager, and I came by a creek, and I looked in the creek and their trout are rising, and I'll have a fishing pole But there's some things around me, and I have some string, and uh, you know what? This is an opportunity to get a trout. How do I make, and sometimes I can figure a way out to do it, and sometimes I couldn't. But I was always thinking, and I would think, if I can't do it this time, what's the one thing that if I added it to what I have now, I could do it? That's modern survivalism, and that's... That's humanity, but we've been so lulled to sleep, made so complacent by a society that says, can't someone else fix it? It's someone else's fault. It's the Democrats' fault. It's the Republicans' fault. It's the black people's fault. It's the brown people's fault. It's the white people's fault. There's no justice for this kind of person. There's no justice for that. This is all bullshit. It's all bullshit. Life is what you make of it. And the solutions to mankind's problems, in the words of Jeff Lawton, are embarrassingly simple. Most of the big problems can be solved so simplistically. But what we need is enough human beings functioning at a level of problem equals solution for society to en masse, not just accept these solutions, but demand them. So we're not there yet, so we must solve every problem we can personally. I can't solve every problem. You can't so there are times when you go that one I can't do. You know if you look at some of the equations that they put on a, a whiteboard uh, in the Big Bang Theory comedy, which I think is hilarious, I, I don 't know if everybody knows this or not, but they put a lot of work into the authenticity of that show, and all those equa- equations are actually real. They're real physics equations. If you put that in front of me, I can stare at it all day long. I don't understand it. I can't do it. It's beyond my level of comprehension, and it's not interesting to me. But you give me a different problem that I understand, and I can solve it. And if you actually defined the physical equation in my language, I might actually be able to contribute to the solution. But I have to know when and where to apply that. But there's so many problems that if you're not working on five or ten a day in your head, you're just being mentally lazy. And if you really want to change society for the better, teach our children to do this. This should be a fundamental taught in our schools. I, If I was a school teacher, regardless of the curriculum, the establishment shoved down my throat, I would ask my kids to come in once a day with a problem and a proposed solution. I wouldn't even judge the proposed solution. They're kids. They're not always going to get it right. Who cares? But if if, if, I would set up an extra credit program. I'll give you three grade points at the end of your quarter if every day you'll bring me a piece of paper that simply says, this is something I've observed that's a problem, here's how I would fix it if I could. Wow. Wow. And why does it take a frickin' redneck from Texas that grew up in the Appalachian Mountains of Pennsylvania with a coal mining family, to come up with that. Why the hell can't any of the people that were paying six-figure salaries to run our freaking school systems comprehend something that simple? Because they've been through the same system of problem equals someone else's money, someone else's job, versus problem equals I am required, if I can conceive a solution to conceive of a solution. That's why. Because they're products of their same system that they're policing. The foxes literally are uh, policing the hen houses in all walks of education and government. And you're asking a fox to look after the well-being of a chicken. The only reason all the chickens aren't eaten is there's way more chickens than foxes. Keep that in mind. So solve any problem you see in your head, even if you can't implement the solution, and find multiple solutions. And if you can implement it, try. Next, be concerned with the survival of others, not just your own survival. You know, the media paints preppers and survivalists as people that just want to run away and hide and let everybody else die. And the reality is the people that think that way in the prepper movement don't even think that way. What they're thinking is they're so afraid that things are going to be so bad that they're running away is a self preservation method. They all plan to come back eventually and hope not everybody's dead. Nobody wants everybody dead. But to me, as, as a person who's concerned about my family and myself and my community and, and frankly, the world as a whole, it's important that I consider the survival of others for, for multiple reasons. One is just part of my ethics and morality. Right? I mean just I just feel that I should. But but the other reason is because it's in my own best interest. Um, right now I'm talking to you on a microphone, and that microphone goes across a thing called the Internet, and that Internet reaches people like yourself, who then listen to me with their phone plugged into a radio in the car with a pair of earbuds on while they're working out in a gym or quietly at a reasonable volume in in, in their office job, if you know where that's from. Uh <laughs> Listen to the radio at a reasonable volume, right? Okay. Those who know that will get the joke, and those who don't know. But anyway, all of these things were touched and worked on by other human beings. Somebody made my Samsung C01U condenser microphone. Actually, a listener gave it to me as a gift to help the show develop at a time when it was time for the show to develop. And I wasn't sure what to do and where to go with audio. And he said, this is probably better. I bought it. I'm not going to use it here. You can have it. So that depended on another person. Um, I did grow the, the chickens and feed my chickens that are providing my eggs for my breakfast today, but I don't have enough feed here to, to, to keep them, you know, in high productivity without supplemental feed. And I want high quality supplemental feed. So I use a feed called Texas natural feeds that's non soy, non GMO that someone else has to grow. So a lot of things that I really like in my life are interdependent with other human beings. All I feel, bring a little bit of politics back, is that all of those interactions should be voluntary. We should have a voluntary... The guy that grows the feed wants to sell it to me. I don't need. He doesn't need the government to force him. In fact, the government has set up a situation where he has to work harder just to market his product as being an alternative to the product that the government pretty much backs and mandates. So... I think that that association should be voluntary. And I think that's where a lot of my thinking completely just goes devoid of everybody with a government solution, whether you think you're a socialist or not. If you want the government doing things at the point of a gun, you're a socialist. And if you think the government accomplishes anything without the threat of violence at the point of a gun, I'm sorry, those are one of those instances where I'll tell you you're wrong. You're not wrong for believing what you believe. You're not an immoral human being. You, you just have refused to accept the fact that there's nothing government can do without the threat of violence and the point of a gun. Because if they didn't have that, the idea would have to work on its own. And if it works on its own, it would already work. People would do it. And if it doesn't work on its own, the only way you can compel people to participate that don't want to is fear. Fear that you will arrest them. Fear that you will lock them up. Fear that you will shoot them. Fear that you will kill them. Right? If a war is worth fighting, we don't need to conscript our soldiers. If men and women won't stand to defend a nation in a war, maybe the war's not worth fighting. That was the draft. And what was the fear? You'd be locked up. In some cases, in some wars, you could be shot. So you had a better chance on the battlefield against an enemy with others at your side than being shot by your own government. But that's why a lot of people did it for that fear or being locked in a prison, possibly for the rest of their lives. You don't know. No, they never did it during Vietnam anyway or anything, but you know, the threat was there. Government always uses the threat of violence. Always. So that voluntary association is something that kind of. Has to just get in there when I talk about this, when I talk about being concerned with the survival of others. And I think it's where libertarians get painted as like people that don't give a shit. Libertarians are generally the most charitable human beings you'll find. They just believe that whoever they associate with or help should be their choice. You shouldn't compel them. But we do have to be concerned about the society of uh, the survival of everybody. If you want to be happy and healthy and have the things you want in your life, a stable society is necessary. So that means we need to start worrying about feeding people. But not with food stamps. With food. You quote me? There's another one. You don't feed people with food stamps. You feed them with food. For the love of God. Why Again, why is a redneck from Texas the one that has to figure this out? You don't feed people with vouchers. You don't feed people with food stamps. You don't feed people with EBT cards. You feed people with food. So... Any food that can be produced by those people through removing barriers or teaching them how to do it, or by others who are willing to do it for them, closer to them, should be the first solution, not the last one. You feed people food, not food stamp cards. For God's sakes! But we do need to be concerned about feeding people. We need to be concerned about other people gaining a reasonable education so they can be part of a solution, not part of a problem. We do have to concern ourselves with others. And we need to do it with the problem solving we already talked about. And we don't need to be waiting on government to fix it. We need to do it ourselves. I'm working with a gal right now. She's doing it. She's developing a curriculum for children to learn based on the principles of permaculture. It's awesome. You guys are gonna be blown away when it's ready to be unveiled. Awesome. That's just one. I want a thousand of those. I want parents that are thinking, you know what? I'm gonna take responsibility for my kids' own own education to go out and look and go. Like that? Not sure. Love that. Hate that. Hate that. Hate that. Hate that. State hate state. Blah. Go go away. Uh, no, the state has a. Oh wait, wait, that's a good program online that they they make available to people. Uh, you're not going to tell me what I have to do with it, okay? Yeah, I'm going to take that. I'm going to take this stuff. I'm going to take that stuff, and I'm going to get my child an education that works. And one kid's responding really well to this, so I'm going to keep running with it. Other ones not responding. I'm going to fine tune this, and that even includes parents that leave their kids in the public education system that add these things to it, which would be great because those kids are going to go back into school and start sticking their hand up and going, why? Why? We'll get to why in a minute, too. right? That's going to be awesome when they ask a question that can't be ignored. And this current system can't answer it. Because if it happens enough, the current system will change. The system is programming your children. Change the programming. Change the system. Oh, I like that, too. Anyway, we've got to be concerned with the survival of others. Or we're not going to survive ourselves. We can't go it alone. Build community. Now, I talked about asking why. I, I really meant asking what if. Ask why. Ask what if. I don't care. Ask questions like a child. And what I mean is you little kids like, well, what if this? What if that? What if this? Why that? How come this? What, 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 what? Well, we're gonna go do this. Well, what if, what if Tommy comes? Well, if Tommy comes, we'll do this. But what if, what if Tommy can't come? Well, if Tommy can't come, then Tom, we're gonna, so that's how kids are, right? And we lose that. It's part of the problem-solving equation. Ask what if, like, ask what if this, what if that, what if this. Remember, if it's permaculture, the answer is probably yes, but maybe you should, or maybe you shouldn't. It's up to you to figure it out, right? Can I? Yes. What if? It doesn't matter, right? No, but don't be that simple with it when it comes down to bigger problems. We need to be asking what if, and why, and how, like kids. Anything you see that obviously can go to another step and hasn't yet, they could go left or right. Well, what if it goes left? What if it goes right? Left and right being metaphorical, right? Just to make it generic. What if it goes up? What if it goes down? What if it goes left? What if it goes right? What if it doesn't move? What are the answers to all those questions? And that's the, that's the key. That's the other side of this rule. You ask what if like a child, but answer that question like an adult. We have a nation full of adults that don't act like adults anymore. They act like children at 29 years old playing freaking Call of Duty in their mother's basements. When I was 29 years old, I was raising a kid. I sure as hell didn't have time to play Call Even if I liked it, I didn't have time to play it. I sure as hell wasn't in my parents' basement. I listen to people in their 20s and 30s talk today, and I feel like I'm standing in a high school classroom in 1986. That's how I feel. The things they're concerned about, the things they're worried about, the things that they're doing, and the things they don't give a shit about are the things that a kid of that age thinks. The immaturity, the lack of responsibility, and the failure to take the other side of the question and come up with a damn answer. And that's what I'd love to see America start doing again. Reconnect with the childhood wonder but answer the question with an adult's perspective, maturity, and responsibility. The next, in spite of all the problems that we have, in spite of all of the, the ineptitude and tyranny in government, in spite of everything that you can look around and see that you do not like, be extremely grateful to be alive at this time in history. This is the most exciting and best time in the history of the world to be alive. There are a lot of things that we're learning from the past that we're applying today. Ancient techniques that have been lost. But friends, those ancient techniques were never assembled fully the way they are today. That's what I'm talking about, permaculture. Yeah, we can look and say, well, this indigenous culture did this, and this indigenous culture did that. They didn't talk to each other. The two systems married to each other with function stacking did not exist. The internet, which allows me to discover that and disseminate the information to you, did not exist twenty freaking years ago. Yeah, I know. If anyone to hear from any of you computer geeks, I was one of you. I understand what went on in the '70s. I understand what kids like me were doing in the '80s. It's not today's internet, and you know it. It's not. There was no podcasts for God's sake. There were no there were no websites the way we think of them today. Do you understand the amount of knowledge that can be gained through the use of a search engine today exceeds the amount of knowledge that was gained by someone going to school long enough to obtain a Ph.D. in 1965? And you can learn about the shit you actually care about and ignore the shit you don't. Isn't that awesome? What a gift. Yeah, we could be living in a time where some of our technologies fail, at least they're here and we know they're possible and can ask what next. We live in a time where we're really in danger of some infectious diseases, but we have better ways of dealing with them than ever in history. Now, the life extension myth is a myth. People basically live the same amount of time that they've always lived, but in some instances, when people are responsible... And don't just do what the system tells them. The system, when taken as needed with intelligence, can extend not just the length of our life, but the quality of it. There's never been a time in history where as many people had good quality shelter. Even if I don't like the way by which some of it is provided, at least it's there. There's a lot to be grateful with. And we have a a historical perspective now. And an understanding of the problems that begats finding better solutions. We have an opportunity right now as a human race to transition the way we do things to a much better system. And at least we have the opportunity. And there's never been a time in history where the people in power want more to retain that power at the expense of the people they're in power over. But there's also never been a time when the people that are being oppressed had a greater opportunity to overthrow those in power because the one thing that was always missing was the ability for us to communicate with each other to disseminate information and to get by roadblocks and gatekeepers and today the gatekeeper is dead the gatekeeper is dead an 18 year old that's articulate and intelligent with purple hair and a nose ring can influence more people than an anchor man on CNN the gatekeeper is dead This is the greatest time in history to be alive. Be grateful every day that you're here. And the future can be even better. And think about tomorrow. Think about the time you will not be here anymore. Remember what I said to you about the trees yesterday. A society grows great when old men plant trees under whose shade they know they will never sit. Plant some trees. Next, never violate your personal moral code of ethics. I am not here to tell you What's right and wrong other than, you know, the obvious things that I think anybody with sanity understands. You don't get to beat kids with baseball bats. You know, you don't get to throw babies out of airplanes. There's, there's, there's morality and I'm going yes to the extremes that are obvious to make a point, but there's a basic morality in society, but that basic morality only takes us so far and When we try to start applying what we think is right to others who are not infringing on others' rights, all we do is grow a power of a state. That's it. And if we're ever going to have a society that's envisioned by anarchists, minarchists, libertarians, we will first have to have a society that polices itself and begins with its own moral code. And somebody's going to say, well, Jack, what if somebody's moral code is it's okay to throw babies out of airplanes? Then we throw him out of an airplane and he's not a problem anymore. Okay? Don't be stupid with this. The average person actually has a pretty good idea of what right and wrong is. They justify the violations of those things with I had no choice. Somebody made me do it. I, I would have died if I didn't. I was going to starve without it. There's no other option for me, Etc. And that's because they don't try to fix problems. They just accept that somebody else has solved the problem. And when no one does long enough, they take action. And they take immoral actions because they believe it's their only choice at that point in time. What we need to be teaching people is once you've really determined that something's wrong, you don't do it. Not because I say so, because you said so. Now think about a conversation with a 12-year-old kid. That's reasonably articulate. That's been brought up with this type of thinking. You say, Tim, do you think what you did was wrong? And Tim has enough perspective at that point to say, yeah, I should have done that. Well, then you're not going to do it again, right? Well, no, I'm not. Now don't, don't tell me that, Tim, because I'm telling you this. I'm asking you, since you think it's wrong, Shouldn't you choose not to do it ever again? And why did you do it? Don't give me an excuse. Give me a reason. Why did you feel you had no other choice? Or why did you think this was okay? Or if you knew it wasn't okay, why did you think it was worth violating what you believed to do it? Well, somebody made me know. Somebody convinced you. What did they convince you of? Examine it, Tim. Figure it out. If you're going to be disciplined, we've already decided that. You're not going to make it worse. If I'm going to let you off with a warning, we've already decided that. I'm not going to take it away. Let's examine this and let's come up with a way where you can look at this and say for yourself, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to because I think it's wrong. And if we're ever doing something that that begins to dance around that edge, like I talked about earlier with the fungicide, that when we do it, It's very well thought out, and we are actually making the choice based on a rational decision. And sometimes it has to be thought out very, very quickly. And sometimes we can take our time, and we need to understand the difference between those two worlds. If it's the fungicide, I can actually take a little bit of time and figure out, do I have to do this? And maybe I don't. Is there another option that would be better? Are there people willing to help this family get through this even if they lose most of this crop? And can we start now on the solution if people are voluntarily asked and choose to help? And if the answer is yes, we do that. And if the answer is no, then we make the decision. I get some time to think about that. I have a little bit of time there. And there's other decisions where I have a lot more time to think, and I can be a lot more methodical in that decision. And then there's a time where I think it's morally wrong for me to shoot you But I think if you're about to seriously harm, hurt, or kill me or someone else, that I have to make a decision around my own morality, I'm not going to kill you two, I, I will use lethal force against you if that's what it takes. And God forbid I'm in that second one, and I haven't trained my mind to think that way. I either wait too long, and I or someone else that's a good person dies, or I act too swiftly and make a mistake and I harm an innocent person. Those of you that that own guns and say, I will use them to defend my life, my property, my liberty, and my family and my community, I salute you for it. But boy, if you're not engaging in the mental exercises to make sure when the decision time comes, you give yourself the best opportunity to make the best choice, you're not being responsible with that. I mean, in general, I don't think America's being responsible as citizenry with very much. The government everybody bitches at is about is the direct reflection of an irresponsible population. Your, your politicians are your children, and let me ask you: if you've ever seen irresponsible parents raise responsible children? No, a little deeper than I planned today, but it's just what I'm thinking about as I go through these. But never violate your personal moral code. Teach your kids that. But what if somebody's moral code doesn't match mine? As long as they're not hurting anybody else, it doesn't have to. Got it? That's very simple. As long as they're not infringing on the rights of someone else, the liberty, freedom, and, and, and pursuit of happiness of someone else, their moral code doesn't have to match yours. But if we're, if we're thinking that way, it'll be very close. It'll be very close. And then the people that most match your moral code, you will choose to voluntarily associate with, You will learn from each other and you will be able to present the results of your actions to the rest of the world positively and make a case for what you're doing versus telling someone else they have to think your way. When you tell someone else they have to think your way, what you're saying is, my idea is so weak, I can't prove it, but I believe in it enough to harm someone else to push it forward, i.e., your government. When you believe in your idea enough to act on it, when you believe in your way enough to to live based on it, and it works, you attract others, and you make a case for your way of life, and your way of thinking, and your morality. And again, don't be stupid with it. Don't tell me that if we everybody did that, that everybody would be out killing children. Because they would not. They wouldn't. Well, everybody would be out drinking and smoking. They are now. You know? They are now. So what? It's not your problem. Unless they're blowing smoke in your face or your kid's face, it's not your problem. If you're somewhere and you don't like what they're doing, don't go to that place. Go somewhere else that matches with your ideas of morality. Very, very simple. But don't violate it. The times you will have the most regret in your life will not be when you violated the rules of others, but your internal morality. That will be the thing that's hard to live with. And you won't be being true to yourself. Never be led by fear, specifically fear of losing something you don't even have yet. Man, I just saw this infomercial video thing. Some guy sent me and asked me what I think about And I told him the guy doing it is a charlatan. It was so hysterical to me. that I was listening to it like, we're only taking two out of 100 of the next people that watch this video to buy our long-term food storage. Some of you may have seen it. I just started laughing. They're making you fear not getting something, not only that you don't have, but five minutes before you click the link, you didn't even give a shit about. It. And now you're going to act based on fear that you'll lose something you don't have. That was pretty obvious. But folks, it works on people. It absolutely works on people. If it didn't work, they wouldn't do it. And, and then this thing is like, we don't want this shared on Facebook or YouTube or Twitter. And if we find out you've done it, we will fire you as a customer or something like that. It wasn't fire, because that's my words. But, uh, you know, basically, like, we won't sell to you. We, we, and we've recorded your address so we know who you are. What? What? Right, So they're making, like, you know what that's going to do? Oh, dude, check this. They're going to be, like, you're going to tell people about it, and, like, I, I'm not supposed to tell you. But, and that creates viral marketing by telling you not to do it. You're being manipulated. And you look at that, and most of you look at that, and you've if you've been around the show long enough, you recognize that, because I talk about stuff like it all the time. But do you realize that it's th- being done much more professionally and subtly by Madison Avenue marketing firms and your government on a daily basis? your educational institutions on a, on a daily basis. And in the preparedness world, acting on fear will always get you into trouble. Acting on fear, you end up buying gold or silver when it's at the highest price point it's ever been. And everybody knows that the price is about to come down. But you're freaked out and believe it really is the end of the end. You better get some all you can. All right? Fear in the preparedness industry is why some people have pallets of food in the garage and their brother-in-law mocks them fear is why there was a book by James uh what's his name James Talmadge Stevens called making the best of basics and it's a good book i'm not putting his book down at all but it's it's been out like 11 editions now and if you i have an old edition when he came back into the preparedness industry uh he had been around during the Y2K before Y2K Right before Y2K, he really capitalized on that momentum in the market. Made enough money that he kind of went away for a while, and I guess in his retirement decided he needed some more money, so he came back and re-released the book. The new edition of the book in 2008 that he was, was talking about re-releasing when he got in touch with me, when he found me, um, wasn't ready yet, so he sent me an old copy of the book. And James is a pretty smart guy. So he figured out if he was selling this book that he was going to self-publish, it was going to be an awesome book, and he could make a case that it was going to be so awesome, that it would all be being sold to people who concern themselves with preparedness and, and, and basic family preparedness. And that all of those people that he would be going to seminars to sell his books to and marketing his books to would be people that would buy stuff like long-term storage food and, and things like that. So he approached a lot of companies who were in the business of selling that and said, look, all I sell is information. I don't compete with you. I'm going to be printing you know, X copies of numbers of this book. This is the 6th edition or 7th edition. I've already sold a half a million of these things in the past. This is the best time ever in the market. Um, For a fee, you can put an advertisement right into my book. And he probably made as much money selling advertising in 1998 leading up to 2000 for that book is he made selling the book directly two sources of income, very smart now I'll put him down for it You know, he put out a valuable product and said Do you want to be included people voluntarily chose to buy but when I got that book in 2008 it was a gift that James never could have understood he was giving me it reinforced my belief that I had to build the survival podcast based on real value that helped people no matter what happened in society good or bad Times get tougher even if they don't. Because I would say 9 out of 10 companies that were in that book, when I tried to look them up, were out of business. Just 8, 10 years down the road, they were out of business. They were gone. Because they rode a wave capitalizing on fear. And I thought all those companies sold all that stuff to people with no concern for building relationships with them, for really looking after them, and for selling them what they needed versus all they could. And all that stuff that was bought that could help people probably never will now. It's stashed away, it's ignored, it's 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 hawked, it's in flea markets, it's gone. And how many people that got afraid and spent money they didn't have to buy crap they didn't need for something that was never going to happen could have become truly solid preppers but now never will? And that's because they act in fear. So never be led by fear. And really never be led by fear of losing something you don't even have yet. It, it destroys businesses before they're ever built. People worry, well, uh, this guy has a domain similar to my domain, and if my business is successful, he might be. Shut up. That is loser talk. That is loser language. You don't have shit yet. You don't have anything to be worried about yet as far as somebody pirating a brand you haven't even built. Get your ass to work and build a damn business. And the what if someone else takes from me is the biggest excuse for inaction in America today, and it's all bad based on fear of losing that which you don't even have. It's sad. It makes us a pathetic people. And nobody's immune to it, not even me. But when you feel it creeping into your life, be aware of it and just, like, what is that? Why do I think that way? No, that's not what I'm going to do. Never act on fear. Unless it's, see, all rules have gray areas. If you're standing in a street and a car is flying at you with the horn blowing and the lights blinking, and you move a step and it moves over, get the hell out of the way. Let fear be your guide in that situation. But when you have time to think, fear is only one part of making a good decision. In fact, it's the smaller part. Logic and rational thought should go into your decision. Never let fear of losing something you don't have, especially, though. Wow. And that's what every info marketer on the Internet that wants to capitalize on the current boom in preparation is using. And all of them are just asshole pieces of crap charlatans. That's why I don't work with any of them. That's why you don't see anybody on my website using that type of tactic to advertise. And the day you do, it's because I don't know they're doing it. You tell me, and I... Fire them as a sponsor. If you doubt that, if you go far enough back, you will hear advertisements for a company called Solutions from Science and the Survival Seed Bank. And when they started marketing their solar generator as a way to go off the grid, telling you the grid would go down in six months, and selling you a product that won't run your refrigerator for 45 minutes as a solution to having no grid, I fired their ass. At a time when it wasn't easy to fire customers. It wasn't easy to fire sponsors. I wasn't highly successful yet. But they violated my ethics, and they were capitalizing on the fear of my audience, so they went away. I'm just trying to tell you that these are not just words that I made up for today's show. They really are the way that that I live, and if you want the type of life I have, it's up to you, but this is how I got here. The next one I want to talk about is something that also has a lot of hindrances, I believe, in, in, in the survival mindset, Um, the focus on the physical, physical ability, how fast you can run, how high you can jump, uh, how far you can hike, how much weight you can carry. I I say, take pride in your physical abilities, develop them, work on them, exercise in the way that's best for you. I, my form of exercise is playing with my dog, taking hikes, uh, working in my garden, building things. But if you like gyms, then gyms are fine. It's great. Um, Build up your physical endurance, definitely. Become proficient with firearms, both from ability to feed yourself and to defend yourself. Uh, know how to do things. There's a lot of things that I can do physically that are more about technique than strength, and someone else tries to do it, and, like, I don't know, pulling a rope on a generator. My wife has a very hard time pulling the rope to start the generator. I put almost no effort into it, and it's not that I'm stronger than her, even though I am. It's It's the way. It's the technique. So... Physical abilities are a combination of strength and dexterity, but they're also technique, and all these things should be developed. There's there's nothing wrong with developing them. In fact, you should. And some physical activity might save you a million dollars or more in in healthcare expenses and misery in your your older years by being healthier and less prone to things like osteoporosis and uh, and other things. So that's all good. I'm not I just before I say the rest of this, I, I don't want you to take it the wrong way. Because the other side of this is never uh, take pride in your physical abilities, but depend on your mental abilities. And what I mean by that is you could be really fast and dexterous as a runner and a jumper and able to get out of a lot of situations people would call survival situations. Break your ankle, and let's see you run now. Be out in the woods, up in a tree stand, fall out of the damn thing and fracture your, your leg or your hip or pull a hamstring to where you can't put any weight on one of your legs. What good does it do you now? Now, if you're in good physical shape, you're more likely to be able to compensate for your injury and get to wherever you need to go. But in the end, if you said to me, I want to put you in a situation that's difficult to survive, and you can either have your leg and the ability to use your leg impaired, Or we're going to severely impair your mental capability. Which one do you choose? Impair my leg. Even if I can climb a rock face with my mental ability impaired, I'm probably going to fall off of it. And usually it's not that straightforward in a survival situation or even a stressful situation or a dangerous situation. It's usually not climb or don't climb the rock face. There's usually far more of a complex problem to be solved. So while I think it's important to stay as physically healthy and, and, and well-trained as we can, if we emphasize that over the ability to think and adapt and overcome, we can end up dead. Because once the physical capability is gone, what do you have? And as human beings, we're mortal and we're, we're, we're dramatically frail. It doesn't take much to actually harm a person to the point of incapacitating them. And people would say, well, the same true as your mind. You fall and crack your skull and damage your brain and can't think. It's gone too. Well, yeah, but you, let's put it this way. The mental def- damage will damage your ab- ability to physically respond. Okay? But physical damage, as long as it's not completely incapacitating from a pain standpoint, does not take away your ability to mentally respond. So which one's more redundant? Which one's more reliable? I'm sure Stephen Hawking wishes he could run down a field and kick a football. But it's not necessary for him to make major earth-shattering discoveries in the world of physics. That's what I'm saying. Focus on your mental ability. Above your physical ability. But don't ignore your physical ability. That's not what I'm saying. I don't want somebody to take that the wrong way. Next, learn from everything you do, the good, the bad, and the failures. I mean, I think that we should really admit when we're wrong. We should really accept that there was a dumb way to do something. And we should accept that when we say, like, that's really stupid. That guy shouldn't do that that way. And then it works have enough in ourselves as a human being to go, boy, I was wrong, I want to learn how he did that now. There are so many people holding themselves back because they said someone else would never succeed, and then that person did, and they just can't accept it. And they can't learn from that success because they're unwilling to accept it. I bet you know someone like that in your life. That, that you've been successful at something that they will never listen to you about because they said it wouldn't work in the first place. That's where we have to be careful on the other side. When somebody says something's not going to work, don't tell them it will. Show them that it does. If you tell them it will and then show them that it does, you, you often run into, I still don't believe it, I still don't accept it, or I still am going to ignore it, or I'll even pay you lip service and say, yeah, it worked, but I will never make it part of my own life because I already had to run my mouth and say it wouldn't work, and you gave me resistance to that, and I solidified my position, and now I can't change. In other words, I'm seven years old and I'm holding my breath. But it's how we're function. again. <laughs> the politicians are your kids. And have you ever seen irresponsible parents raise responsible children? I know some of you are going, I'm responsible. I understand you are. I'm talking about the totality here, the majority of Americans. And if you're responsible, if you live life anything close to the way I'm talking about today, You can't help but see how irresponsible the rest of society is. It's impossible not to notice it. But it doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. So learn from the good, the bad, and the failures of yourself and others. Next, this is like the most important thing. Never accept that things are simply just the way that they are, that they can't change. Never accept that. Never accept that this is just the way it is. Always be seeking that solution. Always be trying to implement solutions. Now, there's certain things that we individually look at and go, society's not ready for that yet. But I'm still working on that problem in the area where I can move things. If I wanted to move a boulder that was too big for me to push, and I couldn't get enough people to help me push the boulder, You might see me starting to carry smaller rocks and place them behind the boulder. And I might be building a fulcrum. It might look like I'm not doing anything at all to get that boulder to move. And I might want that boulder to move a 100 yards. And when I get that fulcrum big enough and I find a big enough handle and I put it under the boulder and I push and the boulder moves a couple inches and I start taking the fulcrum apart and rebuilding it a couple inches forward, it may look like a fool's errand. But if I do it long enough, the boulder actually moves a significant level. And at that point, other people that want the boulder to move might start helping me rebuild the fulcrum faster and push harder with the lever. And then when the boulder moves a little bit further, more people might show up and go, there's enough of us now that we can just push the boulder. And when all of us push the boulder and it moves a little bit and we need a break and we move it a little bit, but our rate of moving the boulder has increased, more people that always wanted the boulder to move will suddenly show up and the next thing you know the boulder is rolling down the hill on its own. But that's because one person who wanted the boulder moved didn't accept that it was just going to be that way. They did what little they could, where they could, for long enough that someone else gave a shit. The problems in society today are massive, but most of the solutions are embarrassingly simple. But they're such that one person can't accomplish them, but one person can indeed start them in the right direction. And because I feel that I need to be concerned with the survival of not just myself, but of others, I choose some of those problems, and I start to move the boulder. And then something in this community has gone beyond anything I could ever believe. I have guys and gals out there all over the place knocking the shit out of boulders today. Because one person believed enough to start working on a problem. My big message when I started this show in 2008, wake up America, let's do something about our problems. One guy, a $35 recorder, an $18 headset taped together with electric tape, and a a 2006 Jetta diesel, and a 50 mile commute. Not because I'm good, because the system works. And the only reason I feel confident in what we're doing today is because other people are doing as much as I am and more. The system replicates itself. But it all starts with, I refuse to accept that things must stay the way that they are. I refuse to. I deny it. And when someone says that to me, I say, was it always this way? And when they say, no, but, I stop If it wasn't always this way, it doesn't have to be this way. And therefore, it can be better. And therefore, in this one instance, I will do what I can. But what about that? I don't do that. That's not my thing. This is what I think somebody could do. This is my way of, but I don't have the power for that one. i got to focus on this one. But maybe that discussion will lead somebody to go, well, I can do that. Pretty soon, there's lots of boulders going down the hill. And in their place, hopefully, lots of trees planted. This is, uh, if you said to me, out of all your rules today, Jack, if you could get one into the mind of our youth today, what would it be? The one that you think would have the, the greatest chance to change society for the better, with not, no laws being passed, with no taxes being levied, with no anything by anybody, just a general acceptance of an idea. It would be never feel you have anything coming to you and be grateful for what does. I think the biggest sickness in our society today is people, and it's not just children. I I would go to the children because they're tomorrow's adults. Uh, But if I could get it to everybody, that would be it. I want what's coming to me. I want what's mine. I'm entitled to. I am so freaking sick of it. How about that? What you have coming to you is a swift kick in the ass if you don't get your ass up and do for yourself. That's what you have coming to you. That's what I want to tell America. Put a shovel in your hand and get to work. And that is a metaphor or it can be accurate. It can be uh, exact. It's either your choice. I don't care what you do. Do something. Stop thinking you have a damn thing coming to you. Stop thinking that you're entitled to shit because you're not and be damn grateful for what does come your way. The minute you stop thinking you have something coming to you, that you're entitled to something, you immediately have to say to yourself, but I want this, and I want that, and I want this, and if I don't have it coming to me and I want it, gee, I gotta get off my ass and figure out how to get it, don't I? That was America. There's a lot of false, nostalgic, bullshit, and what I call the America that never was. I remember when this country was great. Really? When? 1950. Oh, gee, when we had segregation as an official policy in America? When when wives needed a note from their husbands to get credit? This was the goal? I mean, come on. But what was there? Damn it, I want this. I'm going to go figure out how to get it. I'm not going to sit on my ass. 1970s still, folks. I remember the sitcoms of the 1970s, I remember one about a black family called Good Times, a family living in the ghetto. And I remember before they killed him off, because I guess it was right at the cusp of making it somebody else's fault, there was a father of that family named James. And I remember multiple episodes watching that show back in the 70s where there was talk of welfare and things like that, and I remember that character saying, this family will not take charity, we will get by. You could not sell that show to America, let alone Hollywood, today. You could not do it. The politicians are our children, and when have you seen irresponsible parents raise responsible children? Never feel you have anything coming to you, and be grateful for what does. If we could get that One ideal into America. One ideal into the 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 people of the world. Society would be going to change for the better. With that one ideal. No one would have to pass a law. No one would have to take anything from anybody else. I'm not saying it would be all sunshine, roses, and unicorn farts. But I'm saying we would be on the right path immediately. Immediately if that became a central moral ethic for the average person. And don't tell me that it is. Because for every one person you'll show me living that example, I will show you a thousand sucking the tit of society and thinking they have it coming to them and thinking they deserve more. Standard Neil. I've said that before. Way too many people in this country are kneeling even before their master requires it. Stand the hell up, America. You notice I'm not telling you who to vote for. I could give a shit who you vote for. I care what you do. And I care that you stop thinking, anyone out there, I'm owed this. I have this coming to me. What you have coming to you, I will say it again, if you don't get up off your ass and get to work, it's a swift kick in the ass so that you do. That's what you have coming to you. And when something does come to you, no matter how small, no matter how insignificant, when the wisdom of the universe or the, or the, the compassion of your fellow person, your fellow human brings anything good into your life, be grateful for it and be a good steward of it. The last one, never waste a minute on the past. Live in the now and in the tomorrow. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. I've tried to learn from them. Once the lesson's learned and once the pattern is set for the future, I don't give a shit anymore. But remember back in 1986 when you pushed that kid in the park? I don't have time. I don't have time. No. You know? Remember? Remember when you? I don't. No. I, did I learn the lesson of that? As soon as you hear, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I know not to do that anymore. Bye, 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 bye now. Goodbye. But remember when so and so politician did this? guys not in office anymore. I don't care. But uh, uh, no, no, no. Today and tomorrow. Period. Lessons of the past, but not the baggage of the past. So many of our people in the world today are living on that. So many people are. You cannot make excuses for today and tomorrow based on yesterday. And if you are, you're not going anywhere. You're not going to get anywhere. I don't care who did what to whom 10 years ago, let alone 100 years ago. It's over. It's done. It sucked. It should have never happened. It ain't here today. Deal with what is here today and deal with what will be here tomorrow. Take responsibility for yourself and for that of your children. Another way to look at that. Didn't really think about it when I wrote it, but it pretty much is. But don't waste any time on the past, folks. Today is here and tomorrow is coming. Till we invent a time machine, no matter how big the mistake was, Everything that can be done about it exists from this second forward. And I hope we never do invent a time machine. Because the fact that we can't fix it is what makes it important to do it right the next time around. It's a gift to humanity, that we have to live with our decisions. Just like I believe that mortality in the human body is a gift to humanity. Because it makes life worth living, and both of them are reasons to never live in the past. Live in the now. Live into tomorrow. See a better life for yourself, for your children, for your grandchildren, and for the great grandchildren you will never know. Plant trees you know you will never sit under both in the ground and in the hearts of your fellow man. Live by your own moral code and never violate it. Understand personal, individual responsibility. Learn from everything you do. Never accept that things just are the way that they are. Whatever works, use it. Understand what you absolutely need versus you need versus what is a luxury. Screw the politicians. Do not ignore the consequences of their actions. Fight the ideas, not the individual. Be concerned with the survival of others. Ask and question like a child, but answer like an adult. Never be led by fear. Never fear losing something you don't even have. Do those things, and never waste a minute on the past and you're on the right path toward living as a modern survivalist. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. our food these days You know it's on our TVs Sometimes we forget We are what we eat I don't know the answer Children just can't pay. There's nobody up there cares.